0: As we look at our text this morning in Matthew chapter 21, it's important to keep in mind that this dialogue is taking place in the temple and most significantly, it's taking place on the Tuesday of Passion Week. That is the Tuesday of the week in which Jesus is going to be crucified. This is Tuesday. Later this same Tuesday... Judas is going to bargain with the priests for the 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Wednesday is a day of silence. Nothing is recorded as to what happens on Wednesday in the scriptures. Thursday is the day of celebration of the Passover. That's going to conclude with the observance of the Lord's Supper. And it will be that night early into the wee hours of the morning, perhaps, that Judas betrays Jesus. Friday is the day of the various trials, obviously happening quickly, and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this parable that we're about to look at takes place just four days before the crucifixion. What is before us is a fascinating dialogue that's taking place between Jesus and these Jewish leaders who are plotting to put him to death. This dialogue is significant. Jesus speaks to them in parables, for he's speaking to them in a code. He's carrying on a conversation that he knows that they they know That he knows. And he knows what they know. And the crowd is oblivious to it all. They don't understand what's being said. Jesus knows. And the Jewish leaders know. The crowd is in the dark. And this morning, we want to look at this dialogue between Jesus and the Jewish leaders to help us, even as we prepare for communion, as we better understand what is taking place just days before the crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 33, we have this parable. The elements of the parable are as follows. The master is God. The vineyard is the kingdom. That's clear because Jesus says he's going to take the kingdom away from them as he uh, interprets this parable. So the master is God. The vineyard is God's, people, is God's kingdom. The tenants who bear the responsibility for the care of the kingdom are the Jewish leaders. So let's begin. Matthew 21, Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. The elements of the parable. The master is God, the fence, the vineyard, the wine press all of that is God's kingdom. His having gone away is Jesus going to heaven, going to another country. So let's look at this parable now considered. First, God repeatedly sent his messengers, the prophets, to reap the benefits of Of the work of the Jewish leaders. Verse 34. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to tenants to get his fruit. The Jewish leaders beat, stoned, and killed the prophets. Matthew 21, 35. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. So God sent still more prophets to the Jewish leaders and they treated the prophets in the same manner. Matthew 21, 36. And again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. The beating and killing and stoning of the three messengers represented Israel's rejection of God's messengers, God's prophets, and ultimately God himself. Over the centuries, God had sent many to the Jewish leaders. One of the most recent examples of a prophet sent from God to these present Jewish leaders, this group of people now standing before him, was John the Baptist. And they already had this dialogue about who John the Baptist was. That he came from heaven. He came from God. He was doing God's work. And he said, what do you think about John? Do you think he's a prophet? Or do you think he's a man? And They said, if we say he's of God, then Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe in him? If we say he's from man, they're going to be upset with us. Everybody thinks he's a prophet. So they said, I don't know. So this most recent prophet that was sent to them was John the Baptist. In uh, Matthew 17, 12, you don't need to turn there, it says this, but I tell you that Elijah has already come And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatsoever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus likens this parable to all the prophets that came before, and now most recently John the Baptist. Finally, God sent his son to the Jewish leaders, and they traded him the worst of all. And of course, Jesus is the son. Matthew 21, 37. Finally, he sent his son. He sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. The tenants again are the Jewish leaders. Now we want to notice what these Tenants or Jewish leaders say in this parable. They said to themselves, not out loud, not publicly, because they feared the people. Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. Jesus knew what was going on behind the scenes. Says so they said among themselves first, this is the air. This is the sun. This is the perfect person different from all of the prophets who came before. Jesus is saying these Jewish leaders knew what they were doing. They were hiding behind the idea that they didn't really know if Jesus was the Messiah. They knew. They understood. They had heard the message of John the Baptist. They understood the implications. If we say he's of of God, then Jesus can say, Why didn't you believe him? They understood what John the Baptist taught about Jesus that he was the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. They understood this is the Son. That's key. Number two. They said, Let us kill him. Matthew 21 38. This is the air. Come, let us kill him. That is exactly what these Jewish leaders intended. This later day, these same people are going to be meeting with Judas about how to betray Jesus. He knew that they were scheming and plotting against him. He knew that they wanted to put him to death. He knew the sham. He knew that all these questions were a smokescreen. He knew what was in the hearts of these men. He knew, he knew, he knew. And he wanted them to know he knew. They weren't fooling him one single bit. He was aware of it all. And it wasn't going to stop it. He wasn't going to intervene. But it was important for them to know he knew. He knew. They said, let us kill him. The Jewish leaders knowingly, were falsely putting Jesus to death. Matthew 26, 59. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Now, think about that. The Jewish leaders were seeking false testimony. They were trying to find people that would lie. About what Jesus did and said. With the intent of putting him to death. Not only were they paying Judas. To betray Jesus. They were paying people. To lie. About Jesus. So they could put him to death. They knew. And Jesus. Knew. That they knew. The motive. Is that they were. Upset with Jesus usurping what they considered their place, they wanted the kingdom for themselves. Notice Matthew 21 38. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And now, these words and have his inheritance. The inheritance is the kingdom. The kingdom with its wine press, the kingdom with its tenants, the kingdom with its fruit. The point is that they wanted all of the benefits of the kingdom for themselves. Most notably, they wanted Jesus' authority over the temple. Jesus had come in and thrown over the desks of the money changers. He had come in and driven out those who bought and sold. They wanted that kind of authority. They wanted the authority that Jesus had in his teaching as people sat and they listened to him. They wanted people to listen to him, them. And they wanted the respect that Jesus experienced. The people called him rabbi, people called him teacher, people followed him around, people gave him great obeisance. They wanted that for themselves. And Jesus knew it. Eventually, that motive, that desire to have what Jesus had in this kingdom would be seen by all. Listen to these words. Now, this is, after, this is during the... Uh, trial and the subsequent pronouncement of pilate now at the feast the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted and they had then a notorious prisoner called barabbas so when they had gathered pilate when they had gathered pilate said to them whom do you want me to release for you barabbas or jesus who is called christ now notice these words for He, that is Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered Jesus up to him. Pilate knew that the motivation for these Jewish leaders to bring Jesus to Pilate, to have Jesus crucified, was envy. He saw it. He knew it. He knew it wasn't about their law. He knew it wasn't about Roman law and the claim of being a king. He knew what was going on. It was too blatantly false. It didn't make any sense. It was a scheme. It was a plot. There's no innocence here. There's no misunderstanding here. These were evil men doing an evil thing. And back to our text, Jesus knew it. Even Pilate would eventually know it. They took Jesus outside of Jerusalem, and he was crucified on Mount Calvary, Matthew 21, 39. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. That's referring to the Son. Hebrews says this, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp. Jesus suffered outside the city of Jerusalem. They wouldn't defile the city by having crucifixion in its environs. They had to take him outside. Just as the sacrificial animal was taken outside the camp to be set free, so too Jesus had to be crucified outside the camp. What will happen on the day of judgment? Verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? What will he do to those tenants? What is he going to do to those Jewish leaders? Verse 41. They said to him. These are the Jewish leaders. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them fruits in their seasons. They said, he's going to put them to death. And he will place on them, he will take the vineyard or the kingdom away from them and give them to somebody else. Okay. So at this point, the Jewish leaders are naively following this parable. They're just listening. And they're listening to all that Jesus says. And he says, okay, guys, now, what's going to happen to these people that are in charge of the vineyard? And they immediately get it. They say, well, he's going to kill them, and he's going to take that vineyard away from them and give them to somebody else, which is exactly true. They're going to be punished, and the kingdom is going to be given to the apostles and those that follow him. The application Jesus then rebukes the Jewish leaders and says that they should know better. Verse forty-two. Jesus said to them, after they said that, "Have you never read in the scriptures?" So now Jesus is going to take them to the scriptures, and he quotes from Psalm one eighteen twenty-two to twenty-three. And I don't have the time to exegete that psalm this morning, but listen to these words: "Have you never read in the scriptures?" This is Matthew. This is quotation of Psalm one eighteen. 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now he changes the metaphor. But he continues to speak the same topic. Rejection of the Messiah by Israel's leaders. The stone that the experts considered unusable ended up as the most important stone in the whole building plan. Jesus is the cornerstone. They rejected him as a suitable, worthy stone for building the kingdom. He was the most important stone in the building of the kingdom. And then he says this, the end of the quotation, verse 22, this was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. This is God's will. And it's wonderful. Wonderful. It's amazing. It brings glory to him. I don't think. This is a dialogue. It's all in code. The people don't know what's going on. Jesus is saying, I know what you're doing. I know what you're planning. I know what you're scheming. I know you're out to put me to death. I also want you to know You don't have the upper hand here. This is God's kingdom. This is God's purpose. This is God's will. And it's been prophesied all the way back in generations before. In Psalm 118. This is the will of God. God will take away the kingdom and give it to others. Number three, the Jewish leaders get the point. Verse forty five When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They got it. Bingo. We're the tenets? We're the keepers of the vineyard. We're the ones who rejected the prophets. We are the ones who, when the Son of God came, we rejected him. We are the ones who want to see him killed. We are the ones who want the preeminence. We are the ones who are killing him not because we don't know who he is, but because we want what he has. We are the ones who are moved by envy and jealousy. They knew all that. They knew that such action was worthy of death. They knew when the time of judgment was coming that they would be held accountable for what they were doing. Message received. And then notice this. However, they failed to repent. Verse 46. And although although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They still were seeking to arrest him. They were still seeking to put him to death. The only thing that was holding them back was they were afraid of the crowd. Somehow, they were going to have to get the crowd on their side. And they would. Just four days later, they were able to get the crowd to say, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! In four short days. They won the crowd over. And their evil work was done. This morning as we go to communion, three simple thoughts to keep in mind. Number one, Jesus went to his death willingly, knowingly, understanding the plot, understanding the intentions, understanding what's going in the heart and mind of all the people. As we go to communion this morning, I just want you to reflect once again as we partake of communion that God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. God knows our thoughts. God knows the reality of our faith or lack thereof as we partake of communion. And we may put on a sham for the sake of other people. We may not want other people to know what's going on in the recesses of our hearts. We may be here this morning and living a life that is quite different from the life that people may think that we are living. Or that we believe things about Jesus that we really don't believe about Jesus. Or that we're committed to Jesus in ways that we aren't committed to Jesus. He knows our hearts and minds. We need to know that he knows. Secondly, we also need to understand that Christ and God's purposes were fulfilled in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We we need to understand the humility. We need to understand the direction, the purpose. We also need to understand how the crowd was clueless. They were innocent. They didn't know better. The Jewish leaders did. There's a world of difference between people who know better and people who don't. And this... This passage teaches us a very, very, very important lesson. And now I'm picking up on Sunday school. And those of you who weren't in my Sunday school class, I apologize. But here's the point. And I was driving it home in Sunday school, and now I drive it home to you today. And that is that there are a lot of people who know the truth and willingly reject the truth. It's not that they don't know. It's that they are selfish, they're rebellious, they don't want to do it what they know to be true we live in a day and age that the gospel has been boiled down boiled down weakened diluted to the place in which it is so anemic that it's not even the gospel anymore and that is that if you simply say that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died on the cross and rose again you'll be saved That's not the gospel. And it isn't simply to say, I believe that. Okay? I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. I believe he's the son of God. That's not enough. The scripture says, concerning the demons, they believe and tremble. And they did. Legion, when they were being cast out, they said to Jesus, why are you tormenting us before the time? They knew who he was. They knew there was a day of judgment. But they rebelled. Satan knew who Jesus was and he rebelled. The issue is not, do you know who Jesus is? The question is, have you submitted to Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you said, I am going to stop rebelling against Jesus and submitting to Jesus? I am going to do his bidding. I'm going to do his will. I am going to serve him. That is the gospel. Jesus is the son of God. I repent of my sin. I believe that he died to forgive me my sin. And now I live for him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So as we go to communion this morning, as we examine our hearts, I would like us all to stop and reflect. Have I really, truly submitted? Have I really repented of my sin? Not just simply acknowledge facts, not simply know the gospel, that I can repeat it back and forth, but the one who knows my heart, what does he know about my desire to submit to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross. Lord, we thank you for your complete knowledge of all things, even as you revealed to us the knowledge that you had in the hearts of the Pharisees and the way in which you were able to bring conviction, the way that you were able to show them That he knew that they knew. And they got it. And yet did not repent. I pray for anyone here this morning who perhaps knows the gospel. Who understands it inside and out. And may think they have fooled every single person who is sitting around them, including their mom or their dad or their kids. Or me or the other pastors or whoever. May they know that they are not kidding God, that they're not fooling God. And may they go a step further and not just realize that this message is speaking to them. May they not just be convicted. May they not just sit here and feel guilty. But oh Lord, bring them to a place of repentance. Bring them to a place in which they say, I need forgiveness. I need to turn my life around. I need the Spirit of God to work in my life. Oh Lord, we pray. And if there's anyone here this morning who wants to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would you quickly raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but I want you to know that you can have eternal life. Is there anyone here this morning that wants to receive Christ? Raise your hand so that I can quickly see it and acknowledge it. Our Father, I hope indeed every single person here knows the Lord Jesus. And oh God, if they don't, may you continue to strive. May you continue to bring conviction. May you give them no rest, no sleep, until they place their faith and trust in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll ask the brethren to come forward.